Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. What follows is an edited version of my live podcast, which I do weekly on Integral Live. It's Wednesday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. I am featuring questions and comments from listeners. So you can join me live and actually ask a question or make a comment. And the links to do that are posted on my website, dailyevolver.com. And of course, you can always just simply send me an email or a voice memo to jeff at dailyevolver.com, and I may use that as well. All right, here goes. Thanks for listening. I think I'll start by playing a voicemail that I received in response to my last episode on Greta Thunberg, Climate Prophet and Scold. It's a good, clear, concise comment from a listener, Janet. I'll play that now and respond. Hi, Jeff. I was surprised to hear you promoting doubt about climate science. Um, But then I realized, well, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. It's very difficult to come to terms with the extent of the climate threat. Unfortunately, higher levels of development mean that one can also cast a very large shadow. You're influential in very important circles. Um, I challenge you to devote more of your podcast to our climate situation while resisting the impulse to dismiss it as a merely green concern. We all need an earth that doesn't kill us. I really think Greta is not just expressing green. She's expressing healthy red. Thanks. Right on. Well, thank you, Janet. And let me just respond uh, as best I can here. But first, let me take a quick detour into another issue that one of the listeners brought up. And that is my, you know, poor position on the language line of development. In terms of how... I pronounced Greta's name. I got an email from one of the listeners who said, I'll just read it. He said, here in Australia, where we have become so culturally diverse, some commentators make a sincere effort to pronounce names in accordance with the person's cultural tradition. But many people tend to say names in ways that are familiar within their own cultural tradition. So I ask you, how does Greta pronounce her own name? My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15 years old. My name is Greta Thunberg. Okay. That's how she pronounces her name. And frankly, I can't do that. So I am in the second category of people who pronounce it in my cultural tradition or my English accent. And it's an interesting question because I think it shows evolution itself. And I can see the sort of arresting of my own evolution. I do think that in the sacred world to come, that we will have all kinds of options and language and accents. And there'll be one language we all understand. And the others and the historic languages will be art forms that we appreciate for the way they uniquely present reality. You know, each language has its own way of doing that. And I think in my next life, I'll probably participate in that 
but I can't do it. You know, in, in this life, I seem to have run up against the limits of how I can twist my tongue. All right. So to get back to Janet's question, where she says, I'm surprised that you promote doubt about climate science. And I want to make a distinction here. I don't mean to promote doubt about climate science in terms of the real hard science and, you know, all the statistics about this was the hottest June and the last eight Junes were the last the hottest Junes in the last hundred years. And uh, clearly human beings are creating and contributing to this problem. And it is creating things that we have to deal with. And it is creating heartbreaking victims of people and other beings in the natural world who have no power. And that is undoubtedly true. Where I jump off ship is with some of the predictions and what I consider to be, you know, threat inflation, actually. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. I actually explained it in the Reda podcast, but I'll just hit some of the high points here. But first, I would just walk through Janet's commentary. So she says, I need to come to terms with the full extent of climate change. And I think that's actually true. I think I've been a little sanguine. I think that I really do want to fully understand the perspective that she's coming from, actually. And I do think that I have a shadow around it. I mean, everybody has shadow material. And this is simply thing that you can't see that's in your psyche or the blinders that you have on. And, you know, I am challenged these days in ways that I never was to understand my privilege. I really do think that that is a worthy goal. I don't know if you ever get there, but you work your way there. And, you know, if I look at my privilege, I'm fine. You know, I'm living in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we've had some heat waves that I don't like, but we live through them. I actually went to Palm Springs three years ago. Palm Springs, California, which is certainly one of the hottest cities in the United States all, all the time. And they had a record-setting temperature of 124. And that was sobering. I'm thoroughly modern. And it's a double-edged sword when it comes to climate, because modernity is the thing that brings on the methane and the carbon that creates the greenhouse effect that creates global warming. And then, of course, all of the poisoning and the depletions of the ecosystems. But it also protects us from it because it's modern people who can adapt and have the means to and the know-how. And so we can live through a heat wave that's in the 120s if we know, you know, if we have time to prepare for it. And that creates a certain ignorance that is a luxury and a privilege of living in the developed world. And so I, you know, I want to notice that perspective too. And in terms of my own shadow, I also notice my type uh, on the Enneagram or on Myers-Briggs or however you want to put it. I'm an Enneagram 5, I'm an INFP. And, you know, so I'm a fear type. I have worn myself out earlier in my life, worrying about environmental degradation. And I think I fritzed my nervous system. I just don't want to go there anymore. And I'm a naturally removed observer. 
that's my Enneagram five, in a way that I can't expect other people to be. I get that. And so that removing of the blinders and seeing what unwilling to see or unable to see or what doesn't come naturally, you know, I don't have natural receptors for it or processors for it. That is an integral practice that I want to engage in. So that's true. That's my shadow. And there's another shadow that I want to point out, and that is the shadow of the two sides of the culture war, the conservatives and the progressives. And that's what I talked about in the podcast about Greta, mainly. And the shadow of the conservatives is simple. They just literally don't see it. They don't see, they don't have a world-centric view, and they are not concerned in that way. They don't get, they don't have the receptors for it. So climate change and global issues feel like an annoyance to them. But there's also a progressive shadow. And by the way, I, I don't dismiss climate science as a green concern. I notice that it is a green concern. And that, from an integral perspective, is the part of green we actually want to take forward, is that green is world-centric and can see the limits of our beautiful blue ball falling around the sun, you know. And, and so we want that. But there's a couple shadows in the progressive side. One is what I call the fear industrial complex, you know, this science and media complex that serves a steady diet of threat and they benefit from it. And, you know, I could go back. This is, you know, my history of fear, starting with killer bees. I remember laying awake, worrying about the killer bees and Y2K and peak oil and all of these things, many things that has turned me into the villager in the boy who cried wolf and possibly to my peril. But that's, you know, something I want to look at, but it's something that the threat industry wants to look at too, needs to look at. Now I get the benefit, uh, which is that fear moves people, particularly in first tier memes. We are fear-based in first tier memes, but it also polarizes in a way that I think and a more integral view that wants to hold more perspectives here can um, navigate in a way that the world needs. So th that's a shadow of progressivism I wanted to point out. And the second is that there's a religious quality to environmentalism that is not acknowledged in the progress progressive world. And I actually like it. I, I think that environmentalism is a very appropriate religion of modern and postmodern people who, who really can't believe the myths, the mythic religions anymore. But to see that we've ended up on this beautiful planet, and here we are, that's a religion I can get behind. But I want it to be a more evolved religion. You know, I don't want it to be hellfire and damnation religion. It's interesting because green progressives despise religious fundamentalists who preach hellfire, but they're doing the same thing. And with the same, you know, effect in a way. The switch that I think is important and that we can make here in terms of the religion of environmentalism is that we move from a fall from paradise story. This, this, and this is an old story, you know, that we were born into a perfect world. We sinned against it. We will be punished with an apocalypse. And we can avoid this if we repent and, you know, live right. 
And that's the fall from paradise story and where to blame. And it's our original sin. And the integral view or the evolutionary view offers a different story. And that is that actually rising to paradise in the sense that we rose out of the swamps. We got smart. We learned how to control and exploit the natural world. We created the modern world. And with all its upsides, you know, the indoors, for instance, tripled lifespans, uh, no lice, no toothaches, you know, that sort of thing, modern medicine. But the downsides, because we didn't have, we, we got smart before we got wise. And so we're in this sort of sour spot of evolution where we know very well how to exploit, but we're not as tuned in to the downsides or we're getting to the downsides. And in a sense, you know, what makes the fall from paradise story, I think, so powerful is that there's a really fundamental piece of the truth to it in evolutionarily. And this is part of the religion, too, is that in a sense, we did fall from paradise when we woke up to the fact that we were separate. We looked at the still pond and said, I am. So our reflection said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm me and this is the world and you're you. And that's something that the other animals haven't done in the same way we did, for sure. And that is a terrifying realization, but also sets us off on our evolutionary journey. And I always think of the wonderful line from T.S. Eliot, where he says, all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know it for the very first time. All our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the very first time. And that's a new kind of paradise. That's a paradise where we bring, you know, with us, not just this sort of pre-conscious or pre-rational mind, but also all of the evolutionary stages that have been hard-earned. But I think it's as likely that we'll muddle through the climate crisis and the creativity of human beings is astonishing. And that at any rate, we ought to be careful about the fundamentalism of the environmental religion, we, you know, that, that preaches hellfire, especially to kids. The part about Greta's speech to the UN that was so distressing to me was that you robbed me of my childhood thing. And I have friends. I have a friend whose granddaughter is seriously depressed. She's, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, to the point where they would intervene. And it's because she thinks the world's doomed and that she's not going to be able to grow up and live her life. And that's a shadow that I think progressivism would be well to take a look at. So then Janet says she challenges me to devote more time to this. Challenge accepted. I will uh, talk to more people and think more about it. And, and then at the end, she ended with, I think, a really great point, And that is that Greta is transmitting a healthy red. And that's a fighting warrior spirit. And I agree with that. And it's powerful. I mean, it's one of the things I've learned about the world in the last few years is just how powerful red is. You know, we had this modern trance. You know, modernity sort of civilizes us and, and teaches us to be reasonable and so we think that being civilized and reasonable is the only really appropriate way to be. And, you know, I think at an integral level, we start letting the earlier stuff in, in a way that is we, where we get the juice of it. And I think that, you know, the juice that Greta transmitted in her UN speech gets your attention. And I've been more open to that in 
all aspects of my life these days and not just turning away angry people, just dismissing them. So, okay. So I got another email from the Greta episode that asks, are you able to provide your own integrative approach to climate change? And my answer is yes. I think my approach to climate change or or an integral approach to climate change, if you will, is basically the green progressive one. I'm, I'm on board with all of it, you know. I drive an old Nissan Leaf, five-year-old Nissan Leaf. I changed all my light bulbs to LEDs. I'm trying to eat lower on the food chain with some success, you know. For carbon taxes, I'm for all of the above, including nuclear. Geoengineering, I'm, I'm interested in all of it. And so I don't think my agenda is any different than the people who say I'm not, you know, doing it right. You know, it's, it seems like the only thing I'm not doing is having the anxiety and projecting that. So, you know, let's differentiate those things. And then I got a comment from DJ Recluse, a.k.a. Corey DeVos, Editor-in-Chief of Integral Life. And uh, it is an opportunity for me to thank Integral Life for hosting the Daily Evolver Live on Wednesdays at 1. And, um, and check them out. Uh, They're the central hub for all things integral on the planet. So integrallife.com. Well, I love that presentation. And I I really like how you're framing sort of, you know, the challenge here is that we're sort of um, getting pressurized between two extreme responses to to climate change, sort of an extreme conservative response and an extreme liberal response. And I think what's getting lost in that is that the whole conversation ends up getting based completely around just like belief systems, Mm -hmm. And there's not enough talk happening that I can see anyway around actual solutions. And, you know, you listed a couple of things that are, you know, sort of commonly held as, you know, here's what I as an individual can do to help. I can change my my light bulbs. I can recycle. I can do compost and all that. But, of course, you know, a, a, a challenge of this size and complexity requires so much more than just sort of, you know, voluntary individual Um, participation. This requires some real sort of systemic changes from the top down, which is obviously really hard to do. You can't, you can't turn a battleship around on a dime, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of time. And where I get really turned on, Jeff, is when I start tuning into some sort of, um, I don't know, out of the box solutions that I see coming up, like the, uh, the trillion tree campaign. Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah, it rings a bell. It's like all over the world, right? Yeah. So the basic idea is, you know, we've been able to sort of um, quantify, you know, how many trees would we need to plant around the world in order to sort of ameliorate some of the really, you know, negative consequences of of climate change and, you know, in order to sequester more carbon and, and, and stuff like that. And what I like about this solution, Jeff, is it doesn't ask us to like fundamentally change human nature across the entire planet in 10 years. You know, which which feels like sort of a big a big fish to swallow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, I think, when they get into the climate change discussion, they sort of hijack it with a lot of their own sort of ideals and anti-capitalist yeah. sentiments and things like that. And it's like, well, okay, if that's if that's sort of the arena in which we're going to have this conversation, well, nothing's going to get done ultimately because right. we're not going to be able to affect changes like that. So I'm I'm really into these these solutions that sort of, again, think outside of the box and say, okay, how can we, 
how can we, you know, account for human nature, not how can we radically and fundamentally change it in the first place? Yeah, and I think you're right about the anti-modernist streak, an anti-capitalist, if you will, streak in, in progressivism. I mean, progressivism is a lot of, in many ways, predicated on coming up with something that's going to heal the, uh, you know, wounds of modernity. And that's evolutionarily appropriate. And part of what we do when we move forward is we demonize the, the stage that we're leaving because it's, you know, we can see all of its downsides. And so that's in there. And so you, you, and I think, you know, when people are all worked up about climate and still anti-nuclear, that's, you know, a key to that. Yeah. Uh, Or if there's any good news, they don't want to hear it because they're really about reorienting the whole system. Fair enough. That needs to happen. We need to move from a growth mentality, which is modern, to a sustainability mentality, which is postmodern or green. That's true. But you're going to polarize the culture war in the process of doing that. And that may be what you want to do. But let's just be aware of it. And in the meantime, what everybody can get behind is instead of the fear, go to the fix. And it's just what you're talking about. Blake. And there you are. And I got to unmute you. And so I will. And now you can talk. Hey, man. Hey, can you hear me all right? Yeah, here you good. Awesome. Uh, yeah, cool. Just appreciate the perspective and, yeah, the integral. I had the sense that, um, you know, like taking the concerns of climate change seriously, there's this feeling of like, ah, oh, we have to do something um, or shock or change the system. And, you know, so just kind of feeling that in my own like green sensibility, but also the integral instinct to kind of stay balanced or lean into asking what is wanting to emerge right now. Um, And if that gives a sense of peace or of working with flow or with collective consciousness and not to get out there with it, but just kind of what that feels like maybe to lean into an integral instinct um, and to kind of try to be a peacemaker or a bridge between the different levels. So yeah. that's my question. Yeah, right on. I think that is well said. All right. So Blake, you're now muted. Yeah. I mean, th- this, this is, I think where we get into, I, I probably shouldn't use the term religious aspect of it, but uh, w- you know, where I often get in trouble with the environmental progressives is again, it's like, I'm on board with your agenda. I'm just not buying your catechism, you know? And it's a little bit like fundamentalist Christianity where, you know, you're not saved by works. You can do all the good things. I mean, what if I just live like Jesus wants me to live? Is that good enough? No, you gotta believe or you're not gonna be saved. And so progressive environmentalists want the same thing. And, I can't go there because that's not my religion anymore. It was my religion for a long time, but I have a new religion. <laughs> and that is the, I have a new faith in a way, and that's faith in emergence. And that is a bigger one. I mean, there's bigger to come, but for now, uh, that's a bigger religion. And uh, I have faith in the creativity of human beings 
And I have faith that we will, through this fight that we're having, this culture war that we're having, there's a fruitfulness to that that will move us forward. And we need to be friendlier to that fight. And as integralists, we can be, especially if we're not gripped by one side or the other. And, you know, that's part of the move forward. And so we can be in that, if you will, religion of emergence. Which is kind of funny, Jeff, because it seems like, um, you know, in a certain kind of way, this alarmism that we're feeling is part of that emergence. And it's really hard. Totally. It's hard to balance urgency with alarmism. Yeah, that's true. It is. And, you know, I feel a lot of urgency around the planet with the heat and the oceans and, you know, the changes in the ecosystem. But I also don't necessarily see those as doom. I see them as change and things that will have to be adapted to, ameliorated or reversed as we develop our way into probably hundreds of years in the future, more or less controlling the climate of the planet. But these, you know, dystopian imaginings of, you know, millions of refugees and cities underwater, it's like, what do they think it's going to happen overnight? I mean, human beings are actually, again, in modern countries, the pre-modern countries, pre-modern cultures have a much harder time, which is why we want them to develop and why they want to develop, you know, but they can develop in a way that they don't have to go through the same stages that, you know, we did. Uh, I was watching a documentary on Bill Gates and his obsession about creating toilets for the undeveloped countries where there's still like a billion people who don't have running water and don't have sewage and they have sewage, but it, it's not managed. And these amazing toilets that can be run by solar and they have just completely creative new ways of, of doing things. And, and we don't have to string wires. We've got wireless communications. And I think that I have faith that we'll muddle through. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. But if I'm wrong, at least I won't have to have been anxious the whole time. All right. Take care, folks. See you next time.